funny you bring this up because I told someone the other day I actually don't know what an acai bowl is. Like I don't. What made you order it? Because I've had them before and they're good. Oh. Well, you don't know what you're eating. So basically, it's like berry goo on the bottom, and then usually a bunch of bananas and blueberries and granola and coconut flakes on top. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. You just heard a few seconds ago Maria Randazzo, comedian who does a podcast with her father, the man sitting next to me, <laughs> uh, sports writing legend Bob the Railbird Roberts, Bob wow. Randazzo. Uh, you're the father of four daughters. Maria right. is your youngest. Um, you had a and have a had a long career as a sports writer, a handicapper, a man uh, around the horse racing business. And then you all of a sudden you you're doing a podcast with your daughter with a, I imagine this is almost like burying the lead. You were in the business for four, 50 right. plus years and then now you're doing a podcast. Right, but yeah. has that been a fun thing for you? Oh yeah, we've done two episodes so far. It's called Hey Dad. She's in New York because she's a writer for John Stewart the comedian. And she says, Dallas, she's been threatening me to do, do this for a couple of years. All of a sudden, on the front porch, there's the headphones and the Walter Cronkite-style microphone. You better use it. Yeah, and here we go. So we've done two, and I guess it's been well-received. So she's the one keeping track of all that. That's, but you don't right, you don't make any money, John, unless you have a sponsor, right? Yeah, you got to have sponsors. You okay. have to have uh, subscribers and a okay. lot of things. But you guys will build that up. But, yeah, uh, we, right. we can get back to chat about that a little bit right. later on. But let's talk about the... The, the few insignificant years you had before yeah. you did podcasting. You know, I'm not very good at math, but I, I did the paperwork. I've had, I'm 75. I've had bylines in seven decades. Now, how's that possible? Wow. Because I started in the late 60s and I've written into the t- 2020s. So it's seven, de- I couldn't believe it either. That is insane. It, it is insane when you put it, oh, math, right. So, yeah, seven decades and still hitting the keyboards here and there. I still do a little writing. I do handicapping for Northfield Park. We put out a, a selector sheet every Saturday and Sunday for free. My friends keep scoring, make fun of me when I have a 0 for 10. But <laughs> haven't, thank God there hasn't been too many 0 for 10s. It keeps you young. And yes. when you were young, you were just a little kid, right. you had a ball game with your dad, and that's when you first thought, maybe I could do what these people are doing here. Yeah, we were at an Indians game sitting in the upper deck, and I saw the guys on the, 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 you know, the curve behind home plate I says, what are those guys sitting at desk? What are they doing? He says, those are sports writers. They're making a living. They're paid to be here. I go, that's for me. <laughs> and from that day forth, I wanted to be a sports writer. And I started with the, I grew up in Willowick. So Willowick Junior High, Lancer, I was sports editor. The North High Searchlight, the Willoughby News Herald. Actually, there was the Menor Morning Monitor. Came out twice a week. I was sports editor there. Then to the News Herald, sports editor, the press. I just wanted to cover racing, but they got me in a weak moment one winter, and I took the sports editor's job for like six, seven months. I says, I got to get back to the track, and yeah, thank you, God they let me go back to the track. And then I was at the Plain Dealer at the end of my career. What so, were the big breaking stories in Willowick in uh, junior high school? Uh, young man asks for day off to go to opening day. I was the, <laughs> pr- the principal, Dr. Statler. <laughs> who me and my idiot friend says, this guy's a doctor and he's a junior high principal. Why isn't he making big bucks opening people up on the operating table? And we're too stupid to know that there's a doctorate of education. So I says to him, could I go to opening day? He says, anybody with a ticket to the Indians game can go to opening day. I says, no, no, no Dr. Statler, I, I want to go to the opening day at the racetrack, Thistledown. And he said, young man, get back to your room and crack a book. 
And so, you were cracking the book. It was the racing form. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One day I was keeping track of uh, the jockey standings at Hialeah in study hall. And some, you know how the teachers patrol the hall, the, uh, the uh, aisleways? And the guy goes, what do you got there? I says, it's a math project I'm working on. <laughs> I had the plane dealer sports section in my spiral notebook. And I was updating the jockey standings at Hialeah. He let me go. He let me go. When we were kids, we used to hide a transistor radio inside a book. You'd carve out the middle of the book. There'd be a That's square. Right. And then you had like a little earpiece and you could hear part of a baseball right. game. You were probably listening to like the, the sixth race at uh, Thistledown. Bo- I was doing both. I'll never forget this. Junior high, That now that you brought that up, uh, we had the transistor. It was the World Series. Yeah. And our teacher was from Pittsburgh. Okay. And we get outside, like and Mazeroski hits the home run. And we ran back in to celebrate with him. 30 years later, every year in Ohio, the champion horse banquet for the leading thoroughbreds is held at Darby Dan Farm in just outside of Columbus. Okay. The farm is owned by the Galbraith family. Okay. John Galbraith owned the Pirates. He built this playroom, and over the fireplace is a picture of Mazeroski making contact. And there's the clock at Forbes Field, and it says 3.35. School let out at 3.30. I almost fell over. Wow. Think about that. So this experience. Yes. It's amazing how that stuff kind of brings, I know. I know. brings you back to being a kid. Which, if you got time, how about this story? He was a big breeder. Bob, this is a podcast. Okay. We got, got nothing but time. <laughs> so he, Galbraith owned racehorses. He had a farm in Columbus called Darby Dan. Darby Creek ran through the property. His son was Dan, Darby Dan. He also owned a breeding farm in Lexington. This guy was big time in the game. He had, he raced horses in England. He won the Epsom Derby with a horse called Roberto that he named after Clemente. Of course. Okay. Years go by, I make friends with a with another guy from Ohio, Landon Knight. His father owned Knight Ritter Newspapers. Okay. Akron, Beacon Journal, Detroit Free Press, Miami Herald, all those big-time papers. And he, he had polio when he was young, and he was able to walk around in those aluminum poles, those sticks. Sure. But as he got older and heavier, he ended up in the wheelchair. My phone rings one day, and it's, it's Landon Knight, gruff guy. He goes, Roberts. He says, I'm going to run a horse in the Epsom Derby in England. This is the race Galbraith won years earlier. He goes, I can't go because of my situation. Would you escort my wife to the Epsom Derby? All expenses paid. I go, oh, my God. What's the date, Landon? And he goes, June 7th. I go, oh, my God. I got to go to Belmont. Silver Charm is going for the Triple Crown. I got to cover the Belmont. I can't go. I had to say no. I'm in the press box at Belmont on Belmont Day, same day as the Epsom Derby. They're five hours ahead of us. I keep updating my computer. Benny the Dip wins Epsom Derby by a <laughs> nose. It's Landon's horse, which means you would have been there. I'd have met the queen. She presents the trophy, and I'd have said, "Lady, how about your kids? They're driving you nuts." <laughs> That's what Maria that, and, your, yeah. and her sisters are saying yeah. about you. <laughs> that was my. That would have been my brush with glory. I'd have met the queen. And she came many times to America and went and visited a Galbraith's farm in Lexington. He said to me one day, at a, he would come to the bank with that old bazillionaire, and he would say, uh, you know, when I won the Epsom Derby, I told her in the winter circle that uh, if she wants to send one of her mares to America to breed to one of my stallions, it's a freebie. You're more than welcome. He goes, I met one year. She sent a mare every year. Then he goes, women. <laughs> John Galbraith knocking the queen. <laughs> but if you go down there, 
There's all kind of letters from her. He, they got a trophy case. All the Roberto Clemente stuff. Remember Harvey Haddox who pitched yeah, into yeah, the 12th? Pitcher? That his yeah. spikes are in this. It's a man. It's a. It's called Darby House. I guess Darby. they have weddings there now. But what a clubhouse it is. Well, imagine history. if have you gone. I know. I just, it's spooky. Some of the stuff that's lined up. You are, you know, just like one side of history and just tip your toes into the little I pond and of I was just happy immortality. Sit, right. I was just happy sitting in the press box at this alone betting on $2,500 claimers. You remember a guy named George Lewis? He was like the legendary plane dealer handicapper. So when Izzy Newborn, who did the same at the press, died, I got eventually I got Izzy's job. So it was me against George. And, man, we kept track of each other's selections every day. And one day we agreed on Eight out of nine races, we had the same top pick. And the only different race was like the fourth race. And his horse and my horse went down the stretch. And his horse beat mine by a nose. So I know he could have had a nine-bagger. I'd have had an eight-bagger. <laughs> and I'm walking back to my desk, and he knows. And he says to me, you can go home now. You talk about sticking it to a guy? <laughs> I, I couldn't say no. What can I say to him? But I promised everybody in the press box, to, and it was like four 50-day meets. I says, the first time I beat him, I'll run out of the track and get pizza for the whole press box. <laughs> and it was the last day, like the sixth race, and I finally mathematically eliminated him. So I went out and got like four eight-cut pizzas. And I says, George, would you like a piece? He knew what that pizza He knew what that he pizza would know what meant. He, he wouldn't eat that pizza. He knew what that pizza meant. <laughs> Revenge is it, yeah. It can be served warm or cold. That's exactly right. We like pizza hot and cold. That's right. You got it. Exactly. So we're uh, we're we're hopping around here. And yeah, this we're is all great. over the place. This, this is great. This right. is great. I love it. Yeah. Um. So you're a junior high kid. You you go to college right. and and you you get your job. Uh, That's another thing. I quit college. I'm an overachiever. I only went to Cuyahoga Community College. Metro Campus. The break I caught was... That's, one, that's the one with the ivy on yeah, the towers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's mold. It's not... It was... Because it was one building on Huron. It wasn't even that nice campus they have. The break we caught was the uh, the uh, newspaper advisor and journalism professor had just got out of Columbia's graduate school I thought you were going to say journal. journalism. No, well, he may have. He's from New York, and he made the school paper, the Cuyahoga... A Cuyahoga Community College commuter, the number one junior college paper in the country. Who does? So I got great. Uh, read read James Reston in the New York Times and be ready for a quiz. We got high powered. I mean, talked crammed into two. So I got restless to write. Wow. And he got me a job interview with the racing. Form. What a great influence this guy I know. was. His name was Frank Pollock. He was tremendous. Wow. Yeah. So uh, he got me. He knew I wanted to start writing. Not. I didn't want to go two more years of school. So he got me an interview with one of the editors from the Daily Racing Forum. I drove to Toronto, and they offered me the, I'm like 20 years old. He says, you can be the editor of the Vancouver edition of the Racing Forum. This is insane. And I said, well, they only race like six months a year. What about the other six months? He goes, we'll send you down to L.A. You'll cover Santa Anita. Oh, I could do that. Well, I was pretty involved with the girl who ended up my wife. Okay. There's no way she was going to Vancouver. So I said, <laughs> She'd go no. to the, one, the other one, but not right. the I'd have been married to a Canadian girl, and the four <laughs> daughters may have been four sons. Who knows? Who knows? Playing hockey. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. We'd, we'd be Canucks. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You, you might have two NHL All-Stars. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. So I, left, so I left college, and I took that job at the Menor Morning Monitor to get my career going, and I covered Menor and Kirtland Sports. You might, you'll remember this guy. 
He was the head football coach at Mentor when Mentor really got good. And I uh, says, hey, I need a picture of your offensive line. He goes, okay, tomorrow at 335. I go, oh, this guy don't mess around. He blew the whistle at 334. They lined up, and they were back practicing at 336. 330. The guy then got the job at Miami of Ohio. And from there, maybe you can guess who it is. And then from there, he got the job at North Carolina. He made them a football powerhouse. Crum? And he, you got it. Dick Crum. Crum. Dick Crum. Lawrence Taylor played for him at Carolina. And all these Man years, yes. And all these years later, I got a granddaughter who just finished her freshman year at Carolina. Oh, that's so, crazy. Once again, this stuff comes full circle. Still, I'm, I the, know. the whole hockey thing really intrigued me. It could have been, <laughs> could have, could have been Vancouver right. and Los Angeles. You know, one of my last stories was a hockey story. Was it really? The sports editor at the Plain Dealer liked the way I wrote, but he didn't like horse racing. So he had me do all kind of crazy stuff. And he says, go down to Columbus. There's a guy down there named, for the Blue Jackets, named Brian Berard. He was with the Bruins, and he got a stick in the eye, and he lost like 70% of his vision in that eye. He took a million-dollar settlement and retired, but the vision started to come back, and he gave back the money and, and came back with the Blue Jackets. And the story angle was, should visors be mandatory in the NHL? So this was a safety thing that they yes. wanted to write about. and some of the players said no because they were worried that if a stick got under there, that be it would do more damage trying to get out. So that some of those guys didn't. But I think it is mandatory the visor now. Yeah, of course. So I went and interviewed Brian Barrett at the at a Blue Jackets practice. So yeah, I like hockey. As a kid, I used to go to did you go to Barron's games when you were oh, a kid. I, could you still remember the chicken wire instead of plexiglass? You better believe it. It was up around the. But yeah. how much? I mean, and, I'm and a, the smoke right. wafting. Yes. And, you know. I'm a child of the 50s and 60s. Me and my buddy would we take we would take we would go uh, walk to the Willowick Euclid line, take one bus Same to 185th, yep. the other bus from 185th to 9th and Lakeside, yeah, yeah. and we would walk the other 30 blocks. The 185th to the, bus would like go through the Grovewood area, through yeah. uh, North Collinwood. Yeah, yep. yeah, and we would go to Barron. My parents trusted us. We were like 13 years old. Same here. Yeah, yeah. So I used we, to love going to the Barron's games. We go to Barron's games. We go to obviously Indians games. Uh, and how would on the bus? And how would the Cleveland Arena figure? in my future. East Lake North was so big. The graduating class of 66, <laughs> we graduated from the arena underneath the beer signs. No air conditioning. You get a hot June day in there, yeah, pal. You were see. you were gasping for yeah. that to be over. You would say, I, I, right. I see, I don't even want to be a graduate anymore. Let's let's let this thing end. Do you remember the doubleheader? Nick Nick Maletti yeah. had a double preseason doubleheader, first hockey, then they put the floor over and the Cavaliers played, yeah. and it was too warm, and the con- all over. Yeah. And he, they, the referee called it in the first quarter or second quarter, and man, he he come roaring down there screaming. He thought they should have kept playing, but come on, you can't do that with those <laughs> with those uh, high pride price basketball players. What a what a group of sports writers you guys had at at the oh. first in the press, and then of course the plain dealer, right. the great Danny Coggin, of course right. Al Lebovitz, and right. and so many incredible uh, journalists that. That right. Their well, trade there. At the press, we had one. We had the great columnist Bob August. Yes. Jim Bram covered college sports. Doug Clark was a columnist. Tim Rogers did yeah. high schools. Don Friedman did high schools. Phil Hartman did Northfield. I did Thistledown. Bill Scholl covered the Browns. It was a tremendous staff. You're right. It was a Hank Andrews was the outdoors writer. You all right. had an outdoor, outdoors writer. Every, right. All the oh people. yeah. Oh oh. Are you kidding? The outdoor guy got the most phone calls at the paper. Okay. People want to know about, you know, how to 
what lure I need. Yeah, right, right. Are they, are they hitting? And all, yeah, right. Yeah, he got the most phone calls. Yeah, and it was great there. Right, and Coughlin came near the end. Yes. He was on your podcast with him. Yeah, he 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 signed real close to when the press died. Yeah, he's a couple of months. Yeah, he jumped because he wanted money for a new house. Remember, that's what he told you on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, oh, and, he, and, he, and he got the new house, and they paid him for two years and ten months, even right. though they uh, it right. only was a two-month uh, right. uh, operation for him and them. That's crazy. Right. Yeah, because he did a personal contract, not just a newspaper yes, job. Yes, he did. Right. Good good for him. And, yeah, it, it's it, it's wild to see how media has evolved. You know, Bob, I mean, I can yeah. recall, you know, I used to shoot film, process the film, oh, edit geez. the film. Then you get into the videotape era. You yeah. were back there clanging away on typewriters right. oh, and the word processors. Right. And then you get into actual, you know, obviously computers, laptops, and what have you. Uh, what's it been like navigating that? God, one of the early days when we went to computers or what, they looked like you were taking a piece of Samsonite luggage with you. <laughs> the thing was so big. I was in the press box at Northfield covering a stake race one night. Me and Jack Patterson from the Akron Beacon Journal. And they're going to run this race right on deadline. So you put in some earlier stuff, six or seven paragraphs about the earlier stake races. And then they get the main stake race going at like five to 11. So you got time to do like two paragraphs. Well, when the horses come around the stretch to head for the wire, the guy in the photo finish room turns on this real powerful light. He does. He waits until they're in the stretch before he turns on. When he hit the switch, all the power in the press box went out, and it erased our stories from our computers. You talk about scrambling. Oh, yeah. So that didn't work of, out too well. A few F-bombs dropped there. Right, I'm and sure. then there was something called, a, I think it was called a telecom. It looked like a typewriter, and you would there was two rubber couplings, and you would stick the phone in it. But yeah. the guys, when they were covering Indians and Brown games, the noise in the stadium screwed up the telecoms. Oh, there were some nightmare stories trying yeah, to find I can't remember stories. if you had to speak into that thing. No, you actually you put the phone put receiver the phone. into it. It was like two rubber couplings. Yeah. Yeah, it was the... I remember covering high school track and field championships at Ohio State and in the 70s. just the story? You drop them off at Western Union. Oh, wow. Yeah, you drop them off. I remember I asked a guy, he said, could you drop off my story? There's a new movie out with Marlon Brando. <laughs> it was like one of the first, like, che- uh, what was the name of that movie? It was really a good movie. It was at an art theater in Bexley. We went and saw it. So some guy dropped off my copy. It'll come to me. Yeah, yeah right. So, yeah, I remember, it's been not easy over the years. Okay. Trying to file stories. Yeah. I remember I remember covering a district track meet at Kent Roosevelt, and I dictated over a payphone. And I said, I wanted to ask and you would say, paragra- period, paragraph, you know, you know, quote mark. It's kind of like us when we auto, uh, you know, on our phones. Yeah. You're just right. dictating. To uh, a note to yourself or whatever. So I said, and won the 120-yard high hurdles, period. I picked up the paper the next day. The guy put 120-yard high hurdles, the word period, Period. and then a period. (laughs) Yeah, I go, what the hell? We got to get something better here. (laughs) Yeah, right. Oh my God, right. Yeah. It happens, man. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, thank God it wasn't any more. He only did it like once. Because his mind, he probably was thinking about something else. My, (laughs) My father was a real character over the years. When I was at the News Herald, he would bet and book. He called for a score once. He goes, you got a score in that uh, South Carolina-Clemson game? I go, no, we have nothing after the first quarter. He goes, why don't you get a job at a real newspaper? So I get a job at the press, and he calls. 
you got a score on that North Carolina, Carolina State game? I go, just at the half. He goes, why don't you get it a good newspaper? <laughs> You're he, running out of papers yeah, now, so he, Dad. He called me once a plain dealer. I says, you want a score? I said, forget it. <laughs> what, I got to go to the New York Times for you? <laughs> Washington Post next? He, he would have me. Remember when the Cubs only played day games? Yeah. He wanted – you couldn't get scores like you get now off your phone or off the TV yeah. or the ticker on the screen. He says, get in the car, drive around, try to get the Cubs station, get me a score. Go, That's, it's got to be the perfect weather conditions to get Chicago and Cleveland on the radio, for God's sakes. But Lou Boudreau, remember Lou, the great yeah. Lou Boudreau he, was the color he, announcer he for the Cubs. Went on to be a broadcaster. Yep. And there was a guy, I think his name was Vince Lloyd. I think he Vince died. Vince Lloyd, in, yeah, he was died in part a car of that accident, team. didn't he, in spring training? And I would get the game, and I hear, hey, Lou, who put the bounce back in the mattress? And and Boudreaux would say, Serta did. That's who, Serta. <laughs> I, I remember the damn commercial. I'm driving around Willowick trying to get a score for my dad. Yeah, and what do you got here in the house? A Tempur-Pedic. It did nothing oh, for your, yeah, exactly. your choices on but mattresses. He, he bought one of those huge shortwave radios, and he was trying to thought that he could get ball games from around the world. Man, I remember one year I was out, outside on the patio throwing a ball against the wall, and that radio came through the screen door. You must have got a bad score. Apparently. He bounced it right on the concrete. Time for a new radio. <laughs> oh All right, Bobby, your your first uh, Kentucky Derby was Secretariat, Secretariat, no? 1970. I mean, about... I picked against them. And you, of course, picked against them. I picked Sham. Who, because Secretariat had a bad prep race for the Derby. Sham okay. won like the Santa Anita Derby or the, yeah. So, and by the way, every time Secretariat set a track record, Sham, who finished second, also broke the track record. He was born in the wrong year. Wrong year. And they ran this poor horse. It's like going up against Michael Jordan. Exactly. He got humbled in the Derby. He got humbled in the Preakness. And people said, man, don't run him in the Belmont. And they ran him in the Belmont, and that's the last time the poor horse ever ran, Sham. Wow. He was a great horse, too, but... But you're at Churchill, Churchill Downs, and yeah. I mean, as great as Secretariat was and proved to be that day, could you fathom what was 31 lengths? Right? 31 could, lengths. Uh, could any? Uh, what no. was? What was? How were you people reacting up in up in the uh, in the press section? We couldn't believe it. You know, you brought up a good point about who could believe that. There, uh, Bill Knack, who wrote for Sports Illustrated, wrote well this big red of Meadow Stables. He wrote the history of Secretariat, and uh, the trainer was uh, oh my God, what was his name? Uh, Lauren, Lucian Lauren, and the owner was Penny Tweedy, and they're sitting in the box at Belmont watching the race. And the fractional times, the quarter, the half, the three quarters, the quarter, the three quarters time comes up on the uh, tote board, and it's sizzling fast, too fast for a regular horse to run and still win. And Lucian Lauren says, "I'm getting out of here." He was thought he was going to be embarrassed, and she grabbed him by the arm, according to Knack, and says, "You sit here and take it with me." So the only one who really knew how good that horse was was the jockey Ronnie Turcott, because like you said, he just drew off and set the world's record, won by 31 lengths. It was just insane that horse. But you know, he was a dud at stud. Was he? His sons, his sons did not really was the too greatest? muscle yeah. bond. Okay. Muscle bound, but. He was a great sire. His daughters, who were like somewhat okay on the track, when they went, when they retired to be bred, they're called broodmares. He was an excellent broodmare sire because his daughters had nothing but like stakes winners. So he did okay. prove, yeah. So he was just a great racehorse. Progeny aside, what makes a great racehorse? Uh, well, a trainer helps a lot, but okay. it's a stride. 
And they got to have a – there's horses with tremendous ability, but you look at their record, 20 lifetime starts, two wins, six seconds, eight thirds. They don't want to finish what they start. They like to just run along. They don't have the killer instinct. They just want to run alongside other horses. So how do you know one has that? Well, you know, there's some guys who go to breeding farms because they're going to go to the sales and buy horses. They'll sit there. They'll bring a chair and just sit by the fence and watch the folds run around. And they look for the most when they're yearlings. Okay. First, they're weanlings. Okay. Then they become a yearling. And then they usually go to sale it as a two-year-old. By the way, all horses have the same birthday. Every horse's birthday is January 1st because that's how they categorize. This race is for two-year-olds. This race, so they could never keep track of who the hell is. Yeah. You don't want a horse born December 20th because he's a year old yeah. in 10 days. Yeah, right. So yeah. they would sit there and look, see who the most aggressive horses are just running around the pasture. Pasture. Yeah, right. So pasture, excuse me. And, uh, you know, the sports editor at the end of my career, he liked the way I wrote, but he did come up with one good idea. They had a fantasy camp for turf riders. We spent a whole week at a breeding farm in Kentucky, and it was the farm where Seattle Slough stood stud. And, man, we got a day at the stud barn. We got a day with the broodmares. We went to the sales, the yearlings. You should see how... When a horse is going to sail, they make sure he's not in the sun because they don't want his coat to be bleached. They 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 bring in a, almost like a manicurist to paint their their hooves. It's inc- it's incredible the the process. And these some of these horses sell for a half a million to a million dollars. It's insane. I mean, could what kind of money do you have to have to blow a million dollars on a potential racehorse who may not who who may not you know be fast as a fat lady for God's sake? So. It's a, it's a tremendous game. That's why they call it Sport of Kings. Yeah. And I was in there, man, with all those. You should, boy, in the breeding shed, you know, they'll breed like 100 mares a year at the stallion. Will, and the top stallion right now stands for a half a million dollars. When when the when you pay the half a million, when the fold stands and nurses, then you owe the farm the half a million. Half a million. Half a million. And some guys are <laughs> greedy or industrious enough They'll put the horse on a jet and send it to South America because Southern Hemisphere, he'll yeah. go down there and breed another 100 days. So it's very profitable if you have a good stallion. Well, they work the out. You got it. You use as much as possible, and you right. you uh, take advantage of all the little loopholes, I guess, if you uh, if you will. Now, if you it's believe a, in reincarnation, you don't want to come back as what they call at the farm a teaser. You don't. Here's what they do. They bring the mare into the breeding shed. They bring in a male horse. And it's his job to get her a little excited. excited. Yep. And then when she's excited, the, the poor teaser has to leave the barn, and here comes the big guy yeah. to do his thing. So I says, well, how often does the teaser uh, have, a, have a real date? And they go, <laughs> once a, I figure they're going to say once a month. Like about once a year, I go, oh, my God. <laughs> what a life. <laughs> oh, my God. What a life is right. Dinner and a movie. Right, and then, right. Yeah, and then oh, that's crazy. So I did everything at that farm. I said, they go, you want to uh, you want to do some stalls? You go in there and you rake up the, the soil. The stalls, yeah. yeah, you muck the stall. And I was in there and had on white tennis shoes. And one of the good old boys says, <laughs> one of the good old boys says, those tennis shoes aren't going to be worth crap after today. I go, I'm going down to the general store. I'm going to get a Pick box up. of Brillo pads. There's a hose. They'll look white. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Man, the sport of kings, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. the sport it's, of kings. Just, and but yet, you know, you start with secretariat, you you go along. Right. The stories you've 
been able to write or be around yeah. like like the small syndicates that don't pay much for right. you know what are some of those types of stories you know like horses that uh, a, a weird uh, a weird connection between different groups of people yeah. and they pony together not really that much money no. and they take a right. take a chance on it right a young there's one. not too many success stories there's a few but there's now you can buy these micro shares of horses it's like a stock yeah and you get like you know half of a one percent or something but you know, I always wanted to own a racehorse, but I've had four daughters. They all went to Catholic school from kindergarten to college. Uh, all four of them had braces, lucky me, <laughs> and three of them have had big Italian weddings. So I've never really had any money. Two of them went to John Carroll. One went to Loyola of Chicago. How the hell am I going to buy a racehorse? <laughs> but if I can find some partners, I wouldn't mind. You should have been a professor at John Carroll. At least that's taken care of. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Exactly. So I would love to get a piece of a racehorse. I better hurry up. I'm I don't know. You. Yeah, but I can't imagine what a thrill it's got to be when they turn for home and that horse is wearing your silks yeah. heading for the wire. I tell you, the worst named racehorse I ever saw. It ran in Chicago. Man, why this guy named this horse that? One car funeral. One car funeral, you said? How popular was the, the yeah, could you imagine? <laughs> One car funeral. I'm just like, I want to get into the mind of someone that would come up with yeah, a I name know. like that. Right, Where? right. What's there was the story behind right, that. Now, one? You know what a gelding is? A horse who doesn't behave, they castrate him. Some guy named a horse, and this horse ran at Thistledown. All one word, half a man. H A F I M A N. Half a man. Gelding. Now, when you geld them, and if they become great racehorses, there's no breeding. There's no breeding. There's out no of that. breeding. You can't uh, change that. You can't undo that. But people come to Kentucky Derby, rich people get derby fever. There was a good gelding. And the guy was trying to sell the horse. I think he was a vet. And he told some oil baron in Louisiana, <laughs> if you buy this horse, there is a procedure where we could reattach the horse. Yeah. Uh, what a knucklehead. <laughs> I think I think he bought the horse and the horse ran backwards. <laughs> Faster than You know who almost won the derby? His horse was making a move in the stretcher. And I go, oh, my God. What's his name's going to win the derby? George Steinbrenner. Horse's name was Steve's friend. He just missed winning a derby. There was a guy that in Cleveland. That would have been amazing yeah. if, if, if that were to have happened. I mean, right. George needed things to boost his ego. Oh, you know, oh my know. God. Did you know a guy who worked for Modell, Johnny Minko? I knew of the name. Knew, okay. He, he, he was like Modell's like, marketing guru and loved to bet horses. And in the old days, to get in the tracks in Ohio, they issued state passes. And if you had a state pass for the year, you got into any track free. Wow. And, man, they papered the state with these things. So I, I would get Johnny Minko a state pass every year. He really pre- and one day he calls me, he goes, I'm having lunch with Steinbrenner in the private room at Thistledown. Just me and him. Would you like to come? I says, yeah. So him and we talked a little baseball, but George and I talked a lot of horse racing. And when I told him, I says, you remember? I, I lit him up. I said, Steve's friend. He goes, oh, my God. He got all excited he was going to win. We even talked about the character on Seinfeld. He liked it. <laughs> he did, Larry really? David did played. It? Yeah, he liked it. He didn't care. Oh, that's fantastic. He didn't care. Larry David did it. That's and, you right. Know, he was the uh, voice yeah. of Joe Steinbrenner. I don't know if most people know, but the Steinbrenner family is from Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they when they came here, they landed on Kinsman Road. And George's thoroughbred farm was called Kinsman Farm, Kinsman Stud, and he raced the horses under the word Kinsman Farm. Yeah, great Loved con- horse racing. He had such a great connection yeah. to a lot, a lot of things, right. Cleveland as well. Thoroughbred and harness, by the way. And harness. I was just at the Harness Hall of Fame, and there's a bench out front. There's a driver who's uh, dead now, but he was one of the all-time greats called Billy Houghton. So they put his name on this bench and said, donated by 
George, George Steinbrenner. George. He he lo- he drove harness. He was an amateur harness horse. Yeah, he really was into the. And one of his kids likes horse racing. I don't yeah. know which which one of the sons. Well, the, you know, there's they haven't uh, had a title in a while, so you know the folks know. in New York are getting a little antsy. That's right. Um, uh, for what's going on there, interesting. Just Too bad he didn't buy. He couldn't buy the Indians. Yeah, yeah that whole story. Uh, oh, yeah, geez, yeah, the, the yeah. curse of Cleveland. Sometimes the, the, I wonder. Yeah, huh? it, it, they'd be looking at four or five right. championships. He couldn't buy the Indians, and DeBartolo wanted to buy the uh, Browns for a while, and ends up buying the 49ers. Yeah. And he had a basketball history right. in the city. Hey, um, hey how know, about George? this story? Uh, when DeBartolo owned Thistledown and and the 49ers, my phone rings in the press box. It's a general manager, a guy named George Jones, one of the first black, the first black general manager of a racetrack, a racetrack. in the United States. He goes, the old man, meaning DeBartolo, just called and he gave me 24 tickets for the Super Bowl. It was the 49ers against the Bengals in Detroit. Yep, right? I, I can Did you cover remember, that? I can still remember. Silverdome. Yeah, the Silverdome. Yep. So he goes, I'm putting together a group, 12 couples. You and your wife are invited. I go, oh, man. The bus will get the bus on the ramp by the track the morning of the game and drive up there. So the my wife baked and some other women baked and we had a little bar on the bus so we get up to the Silver Dome, and I go, this is going to be great. I'm going to be able to sit with my buddies and talk football. He goes, okay, you four over there. You you four over there. Bob, here's two for you and your wife. I go, oh, no. I'm sitting alone with my wife. She don't know a football from a ping pong ball. You ready for this? 45-yard line. Joe Montana's mother and father is sitting in front of us. Honest, oh, honest to God. That's how we go to the Super Bowl. They win the game, the 49ers. We get back on the bus. It's like six degrees. Two weeks later, you're on vacation with them. No. <laughs> George Jones gets on the bus. He goes, more good news. We've been invited to the victory party at the Southfield Hilton. We went to the victory party with the 49ers. Everybody's kissing, uh, who was the genius coach? Bill uh, Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh's ring. OJ's oh, there with a girlfriend. Not the, the one he married, but another. Right. That's how my wife thinks you go to football games. You take the bus, you sit at the 45-yard line, and you go to the victory party. And, and you meet the Montanas, right. and this is all. Right. Yeah. Same thing happens at Cleveland uh, Stadium. Yeah. You remember when the Indians got good, and they're in the playoffs, and I got a, I mean, every game was a sellout? Yeah. I, I uh, talked to DiBiase, I got two tickets, took my wife, not a big baseball fan either, and it was a late afternoon game where the blinding sun, it was yeah. like nothing, nothing into like yeah, the eighth guys or ninth inning. Couldn't see the ball. They couldn't see the ball. So Cleveland scores a run. I go, because I was going to take her to dinner after the game. We should have been over at like six, seven o'clock. I go, you think that's enough? And she says to me, Yeah, I had enough. Let's go to dinner. I go, No, no, you think the <laughs> and the, the run enough didn't. Runs. The yeah, run didn't. Did. They played extra innings that game. Yeah, will it, it like, stand up? That's what you. They went like yeah. 13, 14 innings. <laughs> She didn't get dinner. I think we had come home and had a cheese sandwich in the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, from horse racing to several World Cups, Bob. Yes. Uh, a yes. lot of fun, no? 94, it was here. And I got the, it was me, Bill Livingston, and I can't think of the girl's name. She moved on to another paper. I was on the East Coast. One of them was in the Midwest, and one was on the West Coast. Liz Robbins, maybe? No, but I remember Liz. It was a, oh, what was that girl's name? She went to a big paper from Cleveland, too. I don't know where she went. But the three of us covered it, and I had the East Coast. It was great. One of the greatest days of my life. I covered Italy, Ireland. I wrote the story. The game was at the Meadowlands. I wrote the story, and I walked across the parking lot and went to the racetrack that night. I go, <laughs> this just doesn't get any better than this for me. Then the World Cup in 98's in France, and one of us was going to get to go, and I got picked. So I was in France for five weeks covering the World Cup. Your wife was able to come? 
Yeah, that was another problem. I uh, <laughs> I says, Joanne, God rest, I lost my wife to pancreatic cancer five years ago. She was a wonderful woman. She wonderful, really, wonderful, wonderful lady. And gave me those four great girls. Yes, she did. Uh, I says, why don't you let me cover the World Cup, and then you come over, and we'll <laughs> vacation. She goes, oh, I, I don't want to fly alone. So she came with my youngest daughter. Maria was like Maria. 10. So the two of them flew with me. Now I'm trying to balance. I can't go sightseeing. I got to go cover games. Yeah, you... So it was difficult. But they lasted three weeks. I lasted five. But it was great to be over there. And then when the United States got knocked out, the French organizing committee said, screw the American reporters. Don't give them tickets. So I'm looking for stuff to write about. I went to Normandy Beach on the 4th of July and did a column on at the, at the, uh, at the how, cemetery uh, there. How sobering is it to stand just, on that beach? It's unbelievable. In fact... We might as well plug this. I wrote a book. I wanted something for my grandkids. I didn't write a book. I a collection of my articles called yep. Writings of a Railbird. Yep. It's on Amazon for 10 bucks, and all the money goes to either St. Jude or Ronald McDonald House. Okay. So the article is in there about, about the Normandy Beat. And I'm not home from the World Cup a week, and I said to my wife, I go, I'm going to go see this movie at the theater. You want to come with me? Oh. World War II movie? I go, yeah. She goes, no. So I went alone which she thought was perverted that you'd go to a movie theater at three o'clock in the afternoon alone. I'm not wearing, I'm not wearing a raincoat and nothing all right, else. All right, Bob. Yeah. So what movie was it? Saving Private Ryan. Saving in the opening Private scene. On the, is the cemetery. cemetery. Go, oh my God. What are the odds of this? And then I covered the Women's World Cup in 99. It was here in America, in Columbus. And some clown who owned a major league team in Italy says, one of those German girls is good enough to play Major League Soccer in Italy, which was like the Premier League at that time. Yeah. So I go to the German coach. I go, "Is do you think that girl can play Major League Soccer in Italy? She goes, talk about brutally honest. She goes, women's teams would have trouble beating American college boys. I go, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and then- yeah. So I covered three World Cups. It was great. Yeah. It was I mean, great. just it, it, it's. Just in the small pockets of of soccer fans, like here in Northeast Ohio, you know, there's various bars or places where people would collect and watch the games and lines outside rolling around the the, the old angle down in Ohio City is a great spot. My daughter uh, goes there and watches a lot of the weekly soccer matches, you know, Premier League and and things of that nature. It's there's so many fans. It's just not a gigantic number right. here but. and after i ran out of time things to cover in france i go i i gotta go home i didn't i didn't stay for the final and it was croatia and i covered that game from the croatian hall in east lake with the with the croatian people yeah talk about passionate fans yes but john i went uh my loves are horse racing baseball and soccer and me and two guys went on a vacation maybe i think i may have told you this we went for three things horse racing soccer and the best best beef in the world <laughs> We went oh, to, I, I think I know where you're yeah, going with we this. We went to Buenos Aires, Argentina. You want to talk about Brazil, passionate yeah. fans? Holy cow. When you go to a game there, you sit with the, if you're a, a tourist, you sit with the home fans, and you're not allowed out of the stadium for a half an hour after the game. You're locked in so the visiting fans can get down the road, cutting down on fights. I did cover a World Cup qualifier in Mexico City, and we were almost late to the post-game press conference because we couldn't find the bridge to get over the moat that surrounds <laughs> the field to keep, to the, keep fans the fans from, from killing yeah. the players. Yeah, Unbelievable down there. 
I'll never forget it. The game ended in a scoreless tie. Mexico, U.S. United States had a guy sent off in the first half, so they played with only 10 men for like 60 minutes. The very first question at the press conference to the Mexican coach was, how come you fix this game and let the Americans get a tie? And the moderator said, one more like that, and we're calling off this press conference. So I'm bald, as people can't see on the podcast. So before the game, I'm with a guy who speaks good English, and he goes, you know, you better get a hat because your head's going to burn off here. So we're walking around. People, you know, they're selling souvenirs. So I'm not going to get a USA hat. I'm not going to get a Mexico yeah. hat. So I see a hat with a goat kicking a soccer ball. I go, that's cool. Give me that one. So I get in the in the stadium and I put the hat on and I'm looking around at the fans and a guy's shaking his fist at me. I go, oh, no. what's his problem? And the guy says, the hat you got, that's Chivas, which means goat in Mexican. He goes, that's that, that team's from Guadalajara. They hate them in Mexico City. <laughs> I immediately took the hat off. And burn your head. <laughs> you yeah, burn my head, right. Did you have any SP 5000? I don't think I had. No, because I'm Italian. I figured my greasy skin would protect me. And I, uh, uh, but your, I take, your heritage right. let you down. And, yeah, And the right. goat let you yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. And there's no press box at the state. It was just chicken wire, and we were inside a, like an area. <laughs> And when they start doing the wave, the stadium holds 120,000 people. They start doing the wave and jumping up and down. We could feel the, yeah. know, we may be on CNN tonight. Big soccer <laughs> catastrophe in Mexico City. Bringing it a little closer to home. Right. Same thing. Old angle in uh, Ohio yeah. City. Fans jumping up and down so much that they have an under, they have a downstairs place right. where people can yeah. congregate. They have to uh, reinforce the the floor is there. Right. Otherwise, you right. you would have had it's, right. You know, fifty fans oh, yeah. seriously injured as as ceiling right. gives right. way. You know. I remember we went to a press conference the day before the game, and the American coaches we're going to practice now, and we're going to be focused on this game. Focused. The key word is focus. <laughs> so we got over to watch the practice, and this knockout of a woman comes onto the field to see if for a mic check because she's going to sing the anthem the next day. And no I mean, focus. she was, uh, I went over to the players and go, how you focusing now? <laughs> <laughs> she was gorgeous. <laughs> oh, God almighty. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh jeez. The, the, the things you've seen, Bob, and, yeah. you know, the, the, and the fun, I mean, the people you worked with, the oh, people that, my God. that you wrote with, right. uh, uh, and then now yeah. this next iteration of your, of your career, as it were, a labor of love. Yes. Doing this thing with your daughter. This, yeah. This this Hey Dad uh, podcast. podcast. Yeah. Plug it and let's ch- chat a little yeah. bit about how that's been going. Well, she she came up with the idea about a year ago. And okay. Nothing ever happened, but then finally, the on the front porch is the microphone and the headset, <laughs> and it's time. To, it's go time. It's go so time. So we've done like two of them, and she's she's sitting in her apartment in Brooklyn, and I'm sitting at the kitchen table here in Menor. <laughs> And she starts, she just throws stuff at me, and I react to it like she said, because uh, she was improv at Second yeah. City for five years. She goes, what's your opinion of improv? I go, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't want to go to a theater and have someone say, I have to tell them, should they be a tree or a pirate? I don't want to do that. Just entertain me. <laughs> so she made a clip of that and put that out as a promo. But yeah, it's been fun. It's it's nice to do things. I mean, I did racetracks with my dad. Yeah. Now I'm doing podcasts with this uh this little shit. So that, yeah, it's good. That's right. kind of awesome. Right. And and just to follow her follow her career. I mean, she's in a real difficult racket. I mean, yes. making people laugh right. is is not to be too right. overly dramatic. It's it's very serious business. She it's got that job during the pandemic. She came back and lived with me, 
And uh, one of her friends was going to be like the head writer. And she told Maria, Maria, I can make you an assistant writer right now. Mm -hmm. Or you can throw your hat in the ring. We're going to hire like six writers. They must have got 2,000 applications. Wow, amazing. She made it through. That's awesome. So her first year was she was just the assistant writer, helping to pick those six writers. And then the second year, they, they thought so much of her that she, one guy left and she... She got the job as a writer. But I remember she'd be in the basement setting up an office, and I'd hear John Stewart. They'd be doing one of those uh, those calls, Zoom calls. And Zoom calls, I'm yeah. sitting at the kitchen table. So, and yeah, yeah, it's worked out well for her. Yeah, she started at Second City in Chicago. She went to study voice and theater at Loyola, okay. fell in love with comedy. Then she did, in the Second City, puts uh, comedy troops on cruise ships. So she did the six months on a cruise ship all out of the out of Miami. And then the final cruise, I guess they get those boats out of the Caribbean because of the hurricanes and yeah. tornadoes and crap. It was a, a, a cruise from Miami all the way to Barcelona. That's crazy. So she had a ball. We, my wife and I went on. I'm not a big cruise guy, but we did it because I'm not a big drinker. I don't like that kind of gambling. But we went and we, uh, we went to a Cozumel and another port in Mexico. And we also went to Jamaica where we did the fun of fun things. We went horseback riding in the ocean. And you, those horses actually step off the sandbar. They're swimming with you on their back, which my wife didn't like. But yeah. And, man, when you get off that horse in Jamaica, you go, <laughs> and somebody's making jerk chicken on a grill. That was a great day in Jamaica. Yeah. Ocho Rios, Three Ocho, Rivers, Jamaica. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my right. God. Yeah. So, so you have, you're having fun doing the pod. That's yes, good. That's good. We're, we're going to tape another one tomorrow because we went to New York. We went to see a Broadway play. We saw Josh Groban. In uh, Sweeney Todd. I think she referred to him as Jay Groves. Yeah, which I didn't like. I was just, <laughs> that's no respect, Maria. Knock it off. And then our last name, my real last name is, we didn't tell this story. I'm in grade school. I'm Bob Randazzo. Yep. The phone, the, my. Uh, I mean, but, you were always Bob Roberts, but you well, know, yeah, I know but people, the, people knew you as Bob yeah, Randazzo. The nun, the, 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 uh, the nun says your dad changed your last name. We have to change your name. I go, huh? So now I'm Bob Roberts from third grade on. I start a career. I'm at the News Herald. The phone rings. It's my dad. He goes, we're going to change it back to Randazzo <laughs> legally. I go, my kids are in like third and fourth grade. He goes, come on, your brothers are going. So we legally changed it to Randazzo. But I wrote under Roberts. Roberts. So I le- the paycheck said Randazzo, but I wrote under Roberts. So we're in New York. There's a restaurant in Brooklyn called Randazzo's Clam Bar. We all went there and ate. <laughs> of course, all the Randazzos took the holiday weekend off, so we didn't get to meet any of them. But maybe that'll be our first sponsor on the there podcast. There you go, Randazzles in that's right. New York. In Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, that's great. Sheep's Head Bay. Sheep's Head Outstanding Bay? seafood. Oh, man, there's so, so many yeah. great spots there. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, my yeah. gosh. I got to get out on the island uh, uh, occasionally. My my yeah. wife uh, grew up out on the island. Oh, she did? Yeah. yeah. What's, 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 what's... She, she was mostly mid, early, up until age 10, she was more out in, in, in the center of the island. Okay. And, and then... Nassau lived, County? And then... After they lived, they lived in Europe for seven years. Whoa. My father-in-law was worked for Exxon back then. It was Esso. Yeah. And so they were based in uh, Switzerland. Then they were based in London. Oh my! And then, when she came back at age sixteen, they lived in Manhasset, the home of Jim Brown, where oh. Jim Brown went to high school. Now, Je- uh, John, all those years oh, that's we co- on the North yeah. Shore, you know, cl- yeah. closer to the city. All those years we covered the Belmont, the headquarters, the press hotel became the 
Marriott, Long Island Marriott, next to the Nassau Coliseum yes. by Hofstra University. Well, my sister-in-law went to Hofstra. And we would go up, and we wouldn't take the freeway to Belmont Park. We would just take what they call the Hempstead Pike, which is yep. like our Euclid Avenue. It's not a pike. Yeah. And we found a great Italian pizza joint called King Umberto's. Yeah. And I found a great Italian bakery. We'd bring uh, biscottis into the press oh, box. Yeah. I liked it. And there's a city out there called Garden City. Yeah, Garden City. Mm-hmm. That's where all the successful jockeys, and it's like Shaker Heights. It's just stunningly gorgeous. Wouldn't have a hard time living there, pal. Okay. You just take the train in when you want to do things in the city. Sure, my father-in-law had, had a, a little cabin, little small little home out way out on the island, basically where Southampton is. Oh, yeah, Hampton yeah. is now. Yeah. Back then, it was just a, you know, tiny That's little That's way place. out, isn't yeah. it? way out there yeah. and then you know he sold it years ago but yes yeah, so i get a lot of connection there i was dating my i call her the bride we've been married 47 <laughs> years um but i i was dating the bride you know when i was going to ashland college yeah. we both went to school together so i can remember so many trips across the george washington bridge you know yeah. to get, get through the city and then get out on long island to visit her in manhasset and uh, I always loved the vibe of New York City. All the times I went there covering yeah. you know, Indians or Cavaliers or obviously the right. Browns in New Jersey. And uh, just a tremendous vibe to the city. But it t- you, you got to have a special knack to really survive in this. Oh, city. I'd imagine. Now, when we, after we left Randazzles, we went up north to Goshen because mm-hmm. that's where I went for the Hall of Fame ceremonies. And we went by the, well, no, we went, by, went on it, the Verrazano Bridge. Yep. Which reminded me of that great boxing movie, uh, Oh, God, what was it called? Cinderella Man. Cinderella, yeah. Because when he retired, he had a construction company that helped build the, the bridge. I go, there's a little bit more history here. Yeah. <laughs> but the traffic, oh, my God, the traffic is enough to make you cry. Yeah, well, uh, get around without one, you know? I yeah. Mean, know, know how to navigate things. We're uh, spoiled in Cleveland. We don't really yeah, have I, bad traffic I never anymore. had commute. I never had no. to worry about a commute. Even no. when I had to work, you know, somewhat of a day-side schedule. Right. Even driving to work at quarter to, to nine in the morning is no right. big deal. Now, you grew up in Euclid. I grew up in Euclid. So, Still live there. You know, yeah. love living there. So when my dad would, you know, the Bible for horse betters is the daily racing form. It comes out every day. It's like an exaggerated yep. box score for baseball. All the stats you need. The closest place to buy the racing form. I don't know if you remember this place. Were you a Lakeshore Boulevard guy? or Okay. At 222nd. Yep. There was a little drugstore called Moss Drug. Moss Drug. That's, you remember it? Moss Drug was... No! B- Bob, Moss Drug was where you would get your phosphate uh, sodas. He, made, and, he yep. still mixed the Coca-Cola. Yep. Right in the yep. paper cup, into the silver paper cup yep. holder. He sold the racing farm. Yep. That's where we would go to get the farm every day. The farm was like, in the early 60s, it was 50 cents. <laughs> you know what it is today? $12. Wow. But and then you'll remember what's a couple of doors down from Moss Drug was Demchar's, yep. the record store. The record store right there. So Demchar, once right. I know that the form is at Moss Drug, the day I wanted it every day. So <laughs> the days my dad didn't get it, I would ride my bike from 305 in Lakeshore Boulevard where we live. Willowick. Yep. But I don't want him to see me, so I would take all the side streets through Euclid and this then come hilarious. up from behind, <laughs> grab that form and get on my bike and head back. What, Upton? Uh, was there? Upson. Upson, Upson. School. Upson yes! School. Yes! I took all the back side streets to Euclid this, to get the form. This is quite the convergence of our past <laughs> because, I'll tell you this, 
I went to Shore Junior High School, which is right there. I know where you are. Right behind it. Okay. And my mom and dad went from Shore to Shore from first grade all the way up through 12th, years and years ago. Okay. But I'm at Shore Junior High School, and I played on the basketball team. And my dad always said, practice is over. I want you to come straight home. And then we'll have dinner because uh, nice. my dad was an insurance guy and he okay. always had appointments at night. Yeah, so yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He wanted to have dinner with the family, That's but right. he still right. had to go see a client or whatever. Right. So yeah, you get straight home. And so I would always stop at Moss Drug oh to get a you know a phosphate or oh get a, just a, a nice cold Coca-Cola, right. swig it down. And I would come home and oh. my dad would say, would you go to Moss Drug? I go, no, dad, I didn't. Oh, my God. And then he would like, he, 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 uh, he dinked me. You know, he said like... I, I was See? driving by there and I saw you in there. There you go. And he and I and I I couldn't lie to him. I said, no, "All you right, you trapped. got me. All right." right. Yeah, and I was there. I was there. And, and that so, was old man Moss making the, yeah. the making the, the the sodas. Oh my God! He had comic books. He had everything in. There. And you're driving through. You pretty much all the GPS has That's to right. offer to get back That's to right. your house. Right. And I'm just like saying, "No, I, right. I didn't go there." My dad just right. lied to me and said, "I I saw you in there." So you remember when we had to take the vaccine on the sugar cube? Yep. Was it Forest Park? We yeah. weaved our way through the hallways of Forest Park. Was that an elementary or junior high? What was that? Probably was a junior high. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Oh, yep. my God. <laughs> I love going to Euclid. And then it was, what, Clark's Restaurant? Yeah. We'd go there for holiday dinners or once Smith's, in a while? Smith's Restaurant. Smith, that's what I meant. Smith. Smith. I meant Smith. Clark Smith's was another Rest- one, yep. right. I Good remember, times, Bobby. And then there was a the place in, that's still there, uh, Hell Regals. Mm-hmm. Hell Regals in uh, Manor Avenue. Yep, yep, Italians, yep. for some reason, Italians don't mind having Easter dinner out, but not Thanksgiving and Christmas. Well, we would go to Hell Regals. And I remember kids were in line crying, waiting in line to get. You know why they were crying? Frank Lane traded to Rocky oh, Calavito on Easter was, Sunday. That was 59 <laughs> going into 60. There you go. Wow. <laughs> One wow. story before I let yeah. you go. Know. Uh, and this is like. Uh, be careful when you meet your heroes, but sometimes it works out very Whoa. well. I'm at Channel 8. It's 1980. I've been on the air for two months. I'm going to Cleveland uh, Indian Stadium, going to the municipal stadium to meet Bobby DiBiasio. He was the PR guy yeah. at the time. To meet him up in the offices, I wanted to do a couple interviews. He was going to help me out. So he was a good guy. He's been a good friend for years and years. I'm walking towards the entrance, and I spy out of the my right eye, my, 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 to the right of me, a gentleman coming, we're converging yeah. on the same spot, and I can see that it's Rocky Calavito. Oh. This is a, you know, he's retired yeah, Rocky yeah, yeah, Calavito, yeah, 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 but yeah. it's Rocky Calavito nonetheless. And I'm, all of a sudden, I'm 10 years old, and I'm nervous as hell, I love and I don't want to come in contact with him because right. I don't know how to. I'm at the time I was 27 years old, a grown right. man. Right. But all, now I'm just a little you're, boy. You and became I'm, a little I'm, boy. I'm a little second. boy, and I'm fr- I'm freaking out. I love it. And I'm. Literally at the point where I was going to kneel down and pretend to tie my shoes. Ah! So I wouldn't have to come in. And he looked at me, and he stopped, and he looked at me again, and he said, You're that young sportscaster on Channel 8. You're John Tellich, isn't it? You do a great job. And I I literally... Is that the greatest feeling in the world? I didn't even know how to react. And apparently, you know, he lived not far enough away in western Pennsylvania, but close enough to get our big signal from Channel 8. And he was what, and I was, I, to, to this oh. day, I can still remember how I had that feeling of, of terror and then like jubilation yes. that he knew who I was. Wow. And then beyond that, he was just a nice, you know, it's been a nice guy to know over the years. 
Well, see, I Meet don't have... Meet your legends. I don't have this... I'm just hoping because we're sitting here at 11... You never met Secretariat. 11. No, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for the uh, guy from AT&T Uvers to fix my TV. <laughs> I want to meet him today. My only... I, I met Pele in the oh, locker room well, at Cleveland you Stadium. beat me on that one. But uh, I, was in her, I was in the press box at Thistle Down and uh, a, a great Cleveland Brown came in and they said, Bob, I want you to meet... The guy goes, I know who Bob is. It was Dante Lavelli. Oh, wow. Glue so, fingers. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But The Rock, man, that's big. Um, the statue's on Murray Hill yep. for Don't Rocky Colavito. Yep. Man, as a kid, that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, really, oh, he it would, really was. He'd start that bat behind his back to stretch for you. Didn't the, he recently the, lose a leg? Yeah, diabetes? He, I, he's had, yeah, he's had yeah. issues with that. But he's hanging in there. He's hanging in there, and uh, I still can remember, you know, the night he... Had uh, four home runs against yep. the Baltimore Orioles. Orioles in Baltimore. It, it was. I know the date very well because our buddy Vince Cellini, another one. Yeah. Good, another Collinwood good, good, boy. Good Collinwood right. boys. Uh, Vinny was born on that date, and I, no. I always ask Vince. I said, oh, "How come your parents God. didn't name you Rocco? Yeah. You know, instead of Vincenzo. And they should they, be Vincenzo Rocco <laughs> Cellini. Exactly. Oh my God! I didn't know he was born that day. That yeah. game was on TV. That game was at Old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. Yep, 59. Guys, you've covered 59. games there in Baltimore? Did you ever cover a game Yes, in I, I, I was there the day the uh, Indians uh, you know, got to the World Series okay. at beating the Orioles. Okay. That was the 97 year, the year that and they kind of cobbled things together. Right. You know, right. Bell was no longer with the team. Kenny Lofton was somewhere else. Right. Uh, they had Marquise Grissom, and they just kind of scratched their way to uh, right. to the World Series all the way up to yeah. the, the ninth inning, you know, when uh, uh, Jose Mesa had his trouble. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I can yeah. recall being in Baltimore and in that uh, new stadium. Well, it's not new anymore, but Camden, Camden Yards is a great stadium. Camden and Progressive Field, those Very are the similar. ones that have held right. up. You know, right. they've they've kept them classy, right? Cool places to be, and yet they're all middle aged right now. But right. They're, they're fantastic. When I would cover the Preakness, if the Orioles were home, we went, we had our nights to ourselves as yeah. sports writers, so we'd go see an Orioles game. So we went down there right from the track, and we got some hot dogs, and I go. You, this is a Cleveland thing. I go, Where, where's the stadium mustard? Guy goes, the what? <laughs> they don't know brown mustard in Baltimore back. It's just the old yellow stuff. Yeah, go get, get the, yeah, throw it over there, pal. Quit yeah. complaining. Uh, where's the stadium mustard? You remember in the old days when the Indians would only get like 4,000 a game? Yeah. But people would go on closing day. They wanted to steal the jug of mustard. Just go in and go home with the mustard. Carry over for the winter until hey, baseball we, you know, again. We were stealing jugs of, of mustard or <laughs> or bringing kegs into the dog pound oh, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. fans used to. They yeah, used to bring right. Up. Remember there was like a little dog house that they brought in. It was like a prop. Yeah. And there was always right. a keg inside of it. Boy. Crafty. To tell you how crappy that old stadium was, oh. Phil Villapiano. Used to play for the Buffalo Bills, played for the Raiders. My name sounds familiar. Uh, yeah. I think he's a Bowling Green guy. Okay. If memory serves me. Long story short, he was in Buffalo towards the end of his career. And then uh, then I moved from a Buffalo TV job to right. Cleveland, where I've been ever since. Yeah. And so I had, had some kind of contact with him about in the mid-'80s. And he said he was coming to the Cleveland Stadium to see a Monday night football game, and he was going to sit in what then was just become being known as yeah. the Dog Pound, Pound. the original Hanford Dixon. This yeah. is the Dog Pound, woof right. woof woof, not the fabricated <laughs> crap that they have today. Try to make try to make it. Yeah, look they cool. can't do that. Yeah. So right. so he was sitting out there, and he said, anyway, I'm the game's going on. I've now I've got to take a leak. So he, so he goes on underneath the stands. He gets in line to go to the bathroom. He's waiting in the line. The line gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And he gets to the front of the line. The front of the line was 
brick wall. Guys were just taking a leak on the wall. No. They weren't even going well, inside. There was no bathroom. The old troughs. The, the, the old, old troughs at the stadium. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was quite the old ballpark. <laughs> but, you know, you are closer to home plate in the upper deck at the old stadium than you are at this one because yeah. three. It overhead. The, yeah. the, uh, the, uh, the loges. Yeah. Three lo- levels of loges. No, I don't but like the upper chances deck. Chances are you got a pole in front of even the well, old place. Well, that's true. But, you know, now, the old place though had a it had a, still had a good feeling to it. It had a great feeling. It was yeah. just an old dump, but it, it was, was. The, the on Sunday afternoons nothing oh. was better than when uh, the Bra- when Brown Stadium was rocking, Bob. And the when, roar. I remember it, Eric Metcalf's two punt returns oh, yeah, against yeah, the yeah. Steelers might have been the loudest I've ever. Yeah, and boy, imagined. it was loud, wasn't it? Yeah. Even if you're outside that place, you could, that roar was incredible. Yeah. yeah. It, it, God, uh, uh, may God rest his soul. Casey Coleman and I used yeah. to we used to stand outside the radio uh, booth where. Back in the day, Gib Shanley did the games, yeah. of course, then Nev Chandler, then right. Jimmy did. Well, Jimmy Donovan actually started with the new stadium, but still. Yeah. History and being and all the greats that were in that shack that did the games. Yeah, yeah. And we would stand outside of it along the railing. So we literally, as you said, Whoa. we were so almost above the field yeah it's the greatest yeah. spot it's a little right. nerve-wracking yeah i bet and it was we could just stand there and see you know it was like Oof. having a drone just sitting above yeah. the field yeah. and you're watching yeah. things develop it right. was awesome it to was watch great from I, I love and then my dad would take me to see jim brown play and we'd go to captain frank's before yep. the game to eat yep. yeah well, that's interesting. Willowick and Euclid. So you, you and Maria, I love it. you and Maria got to you know get get some uh, yeah. old time memories. You know, tell tell her about what she was like in first grade right. and things of that nature. When you, I'll show her where Moss Drug was and where <laughs> and where Demshars was. <laughs> Bobby, this has been a blast. I enjoyed it, John. It, yeah, I enjoyed it. Fantastic. All right, pal. Don't forget, hey dad. Uh, with Maria Randazzo and Bob Randazzo. Look for it on all your social media platforms and all of your uh, platforms where you get your podcasts. It's fun. You guys just, uh, you know, it's it's father-daughter. It's really cool. Thank you, John. So good, Appreciate good it. Luck, good luck to you guys. And it's 11-12, and the guy from at and not here yet, and he's coming between 8 and noon. All right. Well, so get out of my house. Next, <laughs> and on next week's episode, I'll update whether, <laughs> whether or not he Did I get did. a new DVR box or not? <laughs> right. You got it. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you. So there you have it. Bob Randazzo. The Railbird, Bob Roberts, outstanding writer, great guy. So many laughs when we ever get the opportunity to get together. And much success going forward to Bob and his daughter Maria. Maria Randazzo and that Hey Dad with Maria and Bob Randazzo, the podcast they just started a few episodes in. Search it on all of your favorite platforms where you get your podcasts. Lots of fun between the two of them as she's in New York Dad's in Mentor, Ohio, and the Shooting the Breeze about life in general. Check it out if you get the opportunity. And for episode 100, couldn't have had a better guy to shoot the breeze with than Mr. Randazzo himself. Sorry there was no cake or no streamers or no big announcement. That was just episode number 100. We started this uh, in 2019, did about 60 episodes, and then the pandemic came. We suspended things and then refired it when I retired from my day-to-day sports casting duties over at Fox 8 here in Cleveland. So thanks again to Bob 
And thank you for you always being here to listen to all of our podcasts as we have moved forward. There have been so many great episodes. I urge you to check out the one with John Vasso, who wrote an amazing book about 23 cancer survivors. And then in the burying the lead kind of a situation towards the end of it, tells the whole story about rolling a perfect game, a 300 in bowling, only three years after he suffered a stroke, which is amazing. Pam Rickard, a great runner and a outstanding advocate for keeping folks sober. She's just a tremendous interview. Chet Mason, who helped coach Team USA 16 and under basketball team. Cameron Justice of Channel 5 here in Northeast Ohio. I always have a soft spot in my heart for the young people in our business trying to make their way, and she's really hustled in order to get all of her opportunities to get on the air, coming from the digital side and then being a sports anchor over at Channel Five. One of my favorite people in the business, Sandy Alomar Jr. I've covered him for so many years when he played for the Indians. And great to uh, touch base with Sandy and talk about Cleveland Guardians baseball. And Mitch Hewitt, the head football coach at Chardon. So many outstanding ways to communicate with young people and to identify ways to motivate the youngsters. I hope you get a chance to check that out. And a few more. As you all know, I am an endurance athlete, even at age 70, and I ran 70 miles on uh, the, the time when I was getting real close to turning 70. I am now 70. And I ran 70 miles in one of my recent episodes, chronicled Uh, the whole process of running the 70 miles and why I do these way out there physical uh, challenges, what really motivates me in so many ways. And I met Mark Ranallo. He's an artist. I met him at the park at uh, North Chagrin Reservation, and he suffered a traumatic brain injury. And he is a survivor of that, and he has the most amazing outlook on life. I urge you to check out Mark Ronallo and also check out his uh, website where he has his art posted. He's a very good artist, and uh, he does so with some challenges on the physical side. And finally, uh, of the more recent episodes, the great Virgil Dominic. He's basically the godfather of TV news in Northeast Ohio. He was my boss for many years at Channel 8. He launched the careers of so many talented people in our business. Can't thank him enough for all he has done for me, but I hope you get a chance to uh, sit down and listen to Virgil's unique story. He could have been the next Caruso. Instead, he became Virgil Dominic, TV legend in Northeast Ohio. So that's going to do it, folks. I've rambled on long enough. Thank you to Bob Roberts and Mr. Randazzo, the great conversation we had at his home in Mentor, Ohio. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review to help build this podcast as we move forward. I really have found the great delight that there is in sitting down and chatting with someone and getting to know a little bit about them and then able to to continue the conversation with them. You find some very amazing things uh, when you sit down and take the time to chat with folks. The whole uh, going over to England potentially for Bob Randazzo Roberts and possibly even having a chance to meet the Queen if it were not for other things in the way. Just one of the few unique stories that we got on today's edition of Tellich Talks. Thanks for listening, and we'll check you the next time around on Tellich Talks.